Today we're continuing our summer series where we're exploring popular Bible stories of our childhoods to come to a more grown-up understanding of them, while also trying to reinstill our own childlike wonder for the God they reveal. So far we've explored the story of creation, and last week we dove right into the story of Ruth. Next week we'll explore one of the most familiar and beloved stories in the Bible, the story of Christ's birth. That's right, we're doing Christmas in July, but not, because, not just because we love singing Christmas carols. Uh, what I think and what I hope we'll be able to do is, I, I hope we'll be able to look at this foundational story on a deeper level, and perhaps six months removed from the holiday from another angle, a time when we're not preoccupied with shopping lists and overcrowded schedules that so often accompany us in December. So I hope you'll join us for that next week. But today, we look at a story about King David, who I just love as a Bible character because he is one of the most profoundly human characters in the entire Bible. The Bible depicts David's epic highs and his lowest lows. It shows it all, his triumphs, his failures, all while he seeks to live in relationship with God as king. Today, we're going to cover one of the biggest highs of David's reign as king, when he brings the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, the newly formed capital of Israel. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel, beginning with the first verse. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Ahio went in front of the cart. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the Ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidim to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. 
as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. And all the people went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Marie and I were married in a small rural Presbyterian church just over the mountains from here in the Shenandoah Valley uh, 10 years ago this past June, actually. This is a congregation where Marie's grandfather once served as pastor and whose origins are as old as our nation. When we received the wedding information booklet from the church, I had a good laugh when we read over the guidelines. In it, there were some of the no-brainers, like no smoking or drinking on the church grounds. But it also included this sentence, a sentence that sounded like it was written on the tablets of Moses themselves, saying, there shall be no dancing on the church grounds. I thought out loud, is this the town Footloose is based on? <laughs> I'm not much of a dancer and a terrible one at that. If the metaphor for being a good dancer is being light on your feet, then I'm wearing two clown shoes made out of lead. So it's not like we're planning on having a dancing party by any means, but what it made me think about is that to forbid dancing almost seems to be a forbiddance of joy, or at least a measure to hinder or limit joy, which is one of the purest forms of worship, right up there with reverence and openness. Writer C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. David's quest in our story today to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem is one that leads to worship in such a form of joyful dancing. Jerusalem, David's new capital for Israel, the city that linked the northern and southern kingdoms together under David's leadership, will now have an even stronger link as a spiritual capital of the nation as well as the political one. Until this point, it's almost as if everyone had forgotten about the ark. We haven't even heard it mentioned since the early part of 1 Samuel. Now we're well into 2 Samuel. The book of Exodus tells us that the ark was a rectangular box, around four feet in length and two feet in height and depth. The ark was said to have contained three items, the stone tablets Moses brought down from Mount Sinai, some manna from the wilderness, and Aaron's rod. The ark wasn't necessarily as magical to the people of Israel as it was their tangible reminder that God's presence among them uh, being God's presence among them in the past, present, and future of their story and life together. The Ark was captured by the Philistines about 30 years before this, and since then has had a pretty wild ride. Stories of statues of rival gods toppled when the Ark was present. 
people being struck dead for peeking into the ark, epidemics of tumors, and finally abundant blessing as the ark makes its home to Obed-Edom in the care of Abinadab and Eliezer. Careful preparations are made for the transport. David calls on the sons of Abinadab, who are the keepers of the ark, Ahio and Uzzah, to help with this transport. Now, we skipped around a little bit, but uh, something we skipped over is that the transport eventually has a glitch, and the ark is about to fall to the ground. But Uzzah tried to stabilize it, but unfortunately for Uzzah, like some 70 Philistines before him, is struck dead for trying to protect God. After this tragedy, David waits three months before he tries again. This time, the transport goes off without a hitch. The ark is brought into the city of David with what you might imagine was the best party of that nation's early history. There was music, singing, dancing, a big parade. As a king, you might expect David to be solemnly watching from a distance, maybe in a high pedestal or, or a box. But no, David is no spectator here. If anyone, if anything, he's the one out there leading the dancing. It's almost as if David is leading an epic flash mob in Jerusalem, breaking forth in spontaneous dance together out of pure joy. David and the people of Israel here give us a clear image of what worship looks like. Remember, the ark for Israel was the tangible reminder of God's presence and activity in their lives. So their joy was a worshipful response for the living God, present among them here and now. And their joy almost seems compulsive, pathological, as if they can't help themselves from singing and dancing and giving praise to God. Now, as good frozen chosen Presbyterians, myself very much included, we like to remain reverent, stable, even when we believe we're in the presence, in the midst of the living God. But David's act of worship challenges us to open ourselves to respond joyfully, energetically, when we witness the living God's presence among us and worship in our communities, even out in our workplaces. As Christians, we believe that every time we gather for worship, particularly when we gather at our Lord's table for communion, as we will shortly, we meet our risen Lord. We experience God's presence in the hospitality and fellowship we offer one another, in the hearing of God's word read and proclaimed, in the mystery of the sacraments. So why then are we always so serious in worship? Shouldn't we be beside ourselves dancing for joy in the presence of the living God? For this very reason, I learned that Presbyterian churches in Ghana actually dance together to come to the table for communion each time they celebrate the sacrament. Experiencing the living God calls for joy, for dancing, for anything that causes us to celebrate and to live through this this lively feeling of God's presence. So what happens next? How does this compulsive joy affect David? What does this joy cause him to do after the Jerusalem dance party? David responds to the overwhelming sense of joy of being in God's presence with generosity. 
giving to each a portion of bread, meat, and a cake of raisins. These were the fixings for a ceremonial feast. God's presence moves David to uncontrollable joy, and this joy leads him to act generously, providing a feast for the people. Here, David models for us something very important in the Christian life. He models for us the generosity that is a byproduct of pure joy, found only in an encounter with the living God. In addition to dancing, David teaches us that generosity is our way of sharing the joy of God's presence with others. Generosity is our way of sharing the joy of Christ with others. The presence of God begets joy, and joy begets gratitude. If our dancing, if our joy of God's presence doesn't turn into generosity, what then does that say about our experience of God? and what this God in Christ calls us to do for our neighbors in need. By the time we reach the end of the story, we meet uh, Michal again, and she is not happy at all about what David has done. In fact, we hear that she despised David for it. The story names her as the daughter of Saul, but in the story that we read, the narrator leaves out that she's also David's wife. We can only guess uh, on why she was upset, but it seems to me the point of Michal in the story is the reality that the pure human affections of joy and generosity are often met met with resistance in our world. Sometimes they're even met with resentment. Who hasn't had a coworker that was just flat out negative all the time? Or a friend who always had to have the upper hand when telling a story? The great thing is that David, who may or may not have been aware of uh, Michal's mood, isn't phased by it. She's a reminder that there will always be people trying to take the joy out of life, out of our experiences of the living God. But maybe it is people like Michal to whom we are called to respond with generosity, friends. She's also a reminder, she's also a reminder for us, friends, to not get in the way of others' joy. So friends, with the story of David dancing before the Lord, we're taught to dance when God shows up, to be joyful when God shows up. This is a joy that cannot be held back or bound, or contained. Joy is indeed the serious business of heaven, as it is the serious business of people following Jesus, seeking to participate in the indwelling of God's kingdom on earth. No prohibition of dancing policy can hold back the joy of God breaking into our lives in the world around us. Like David, may your joy of the living God present and at work in your lives break forth in bold ways. And like David, may this joy take the form of generosity, joyfully giving of yourself and your gifts to participate in what God is up to in bringing about the kingdom here and now on earth. May it be so for us, friends. Amen.